Hello and welcome to the THCC podcast. Thank you for joining us. At THCC, we are a vibrant, multicultural and multi-generational church at the heart of East London in Tower Hamlets. And we gather every Sunday to worship God, learn more from the Bible and have fellowship with one another. Our passion and desire is to see the community around us to be changed by the good news of Jesus Christ. Now it's time for this week's sermon and we pray that this message you're about to hear would be a real encouragement for you in your journey with Jesus. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you speak into our lives through your word and your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I want to pray that as I speak, God, that each of us would have hearts that are open, that each of us would be ready and waiting to receive and to to be changed by you. Lord, we want to have open hearts and open ears. And so we pray that you would speak to each one of us now in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Now, as a church, we take teaching the Bible really seriously. We generally do that in the form of going through a whole book at a time, so that we can, one of the books from the Bible at a time, so that we can see what the Bible teaches in its context. Uh, towards the start of this year, we started off on 1 Corinthians, and we've been going through that. And we're taking just a, a little break at the moment. Uh, just in over the the summer the, for a month or so. So in our other congregation at the Lighthouse, they're looking at Haggai over the summer. And we've just been looking at a few here, uh, a few passages on life together. Looking at what does it mean to share life together. Uh, uh, Mike very helpfully reminded us about not to grow tired of doing good uh, last week. Two weeks ago, I spoke from the passage just immediately preceding this one in Colossians, um, which speaks of having an identity, an attitude, and actions that come from knowing who we are in Christ. And the identity is one of being holy, loved, and chosen. And we looked at how our attitudes and actions change when we understand what God has done for us. We saw that that shapes our attitude of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And we saw that the result of that, our actions, is bearing with one another, forgiving one another, loving one another, and accepting one another. And so today I want to uh, draw in from the next part of that passage, from verse 15 to 17. And the idea is that when we put on this new identity, and, and Colossians talks about putting off the old and putting on the new, putting on this identity that is 
in Christ, putting on the attitudes and the actions. And we're told to take off the old and put on the new. It's a new way of living. It's a new way of being. And we've been really focusing on what does that mean for us to share life together. So if we're putting off the old clothes and we're putting on the new, that means that church is like the changing room. It's the place where we're taking one set off and we're putting on something else and we're working that out in the context of a local church. You see, life together, life shared as part of a, 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 the body of Christ, as part of a fellowship, shapes our identity, it shapes our attitude, and it shapes our action. That process of putting off the old and putting on the new. You know, what's interesting, as well as shaping that process, it actually, uh, our, 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 the changes that we make in our relationship determine, and our relationships determine to what extent we'll put on those new clothes and live as God intended us to do. But the context is life together and life together in a local church. As Christians, we're called to be committed to a local church. And I wanna encourage you, be a part of a local church. If you're visiting today, it's great that you're here. If you're starting a new job or a new term, I wanna encourage you, find a local church to be a part of, get involved, try not to end up being a part of three churches, be a part of a local church. Get involved and share life together, doing life together. Church is more than just Sundays. And we're called to live life together. You know, the, the letters of the New Testament were largely written to churches and written to be read aloud. So if you can uh, imagine what would happen as the believers came together, the Bible, as we've come to know it, these letters would have been read aloud to the church, not just for individual Bible study, but to the church together. And you know, in our country, it's times you know, possible to individualize our faith. Yes, we have a personal faith in Jesus. Yes, you can't get born again simply by coming to church. Yes, you need to have a faith in Christ that's real, where Christ lives in your heart by faith. But the context of that will always be a local church. It's great that God loves us as individuals. It's amazing, isn't it? The God who created heaven knows how many hairs there are on your head, or maybe how many there aren't, Natan. But <laughs> the God who created heaven knows all that and more. He knows everything about you. And yet that same God calls us to life together, to be a part of a family you know, local church ought to be, in one sense, our extended family, a church where we love God together. Church has to be a place. You'll see it on the banners around the room. The church is a place where together we love and serve God. It's a place where together we grow in our faith, being encouraged and refined and honed by our relationships, loving God, loving one another. But it's also... 
where our community can see the visible sign that Jesus was raised from the dead. The visible sign of a local church, a visible sign that the kingdom of God has come, is come, and will come. It's a people, a community, an alternative community where Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. It's where our relationships and our love for one another, we collectively work out obedience to King Jesus. It's where we show that Jesus lives because we are loving one another and we're obedient to him as his followers. You know, you'll see that reflected in the room. As you came in, you would have seen multicultural, multi-generational, loving God, loving one another, loving our community from neighbors to nations. They're not just taglines. This is how we want to live. We want to live as a community of King Jesus, being real with one another, loving one another, serving one another, and impacting our community. And if we're to do that, that's why we are a multicultural, multi-generational community. People from all kinds of backgrounds, because that's what our community looks like. And so that's what the church of Jesus in this place looks like. So I want to look at some of these aspects that this passage speaks of. It speaks of the peace of Christ. It speaks of the message of Christ. And it speaks of gratefulness, being thankful. And I want us to see how that process of being changed, of putting on the new, is so shaped by letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. It's shaped by letting the words of Christ dwell richly among us. It's shaped by being thankful. If you want to be changed into the person Jesus wants you to be, this is part of the process. So verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members you were called to peace and to be thankful. Brothers and sisters, in our relationships, and that's what we've been focusing down on as part of the passage, we need to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. You know, the idea of let, it's not a passive thing. Peace doesn't just happen. We're called to cultivate it, but ultimately we are given it by God through his son Jesus. And our choice is, do we allow God's peace to rule in our hearts? Let, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. It's interesting, that word to rule, to rule. We've probably thought a lot about that this week, haven't we? The idea that uh, the queen as a sovereign monarch, she ruled. But also, as a constitutional monarch, she wasn't ruling every aspect of our life. When God's peace rules our hearts, though, it does want to impact every aspect of our lives. God's peace, God's government needs to rule over and govern our interactions with one another. If we want to know and experience and let the peace of Christ rule and reign in our hearts, it means that it rules and reigns in our interactions. It rules in our relationships. It determines the boundaries of our relationships, what they are, what they look like, 
That's why the Bible's teaching on relationships is so, so important. We need to see the active, present, and far-reaching rule of the peace of God in our lives. And I want to encourage you, don't do anything to jeopardize God's peace in your life. You know, the passage here has the connotation of, of God's peace being, when it talks about ruling, of being like an umpire, of determining the rules. You know, in football, you often hear that phrase when you're teaching kids to play football and they're crying because they were fouled and they weren't really fouled because they've, they've generally seen a Man United player rolling on the ground for no reason. And uh, we often say to them, don't we, play to the whistle, play to the whistle. When it comes to the peace of Christ ruling in your heart, play to the whistle, allow God's umpiring, God's peace to umpire your life. Allow our hearts to be governed by peace, not just the head. It doesn't just mean serenity or feeling relaxed or chilled out, but knowing God's peace in our heart. If we know God's peace in our heart, we can experience peace internally, even when the external is chaotic. If we allow God's peace to rule in our heart, you can be at peace in a war zone. Similarly, if we don't cultivate the peace of God in our lives, we could be in the most serene, tranquil, chilled out place and yet be experiencing utter turmoil. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let God's peace rule in your heart. Let it define you. Let it enforce the boundaries of our relationships. Are we seeking peace in our relationships? You know, the verse in verse 12 earlier in this passage says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And we'll see those things. We'll be able to, to, to put on those, um, those attitudes. We'll be able to understand that identity if we rest in Christ, not striving. Doesn't mean we're passive in life, but it means that we, by faith, receive from God. I love that it says that you were called together as members of one body. You're called as members of one body. That's how Christ's peace rules in our hearts in the context of our relationships because we're called as members of one body. I just want you just for this aspect of Christ's body, our local church, just quickly just scan your head around the room. Look at the body of Christ around you. You are called you are called to people who look different, sound different, were raised different, people that are extremely different, even people that don't like strong coffee, like the, the really strange people, you know? Like, like, but you are called to people who are different. And yet, in our difference, we share Christ together. We're called to one body as members of one body. I want us to say, if we want the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, understand it's his peace. 
It's not peace that I get from just sitting and trying to drum up peace. I don't know when, if you've ever I experienced this the other week. I was awake in the middle of the night thinking about stuff, and I'm trying to get my brain to stop working. And I'm trying to get it to just calm down and stop thinking about what it's thinking about. And it's just ticking on and ticking on and ticking on. And I'm trying to summon up peace. And you know what? Peace doesn't get drummed up from inside. Peace is received from Christ. It belongs to him. And he gives us his peace. It's not internal. It doesn't even come from others. Now, some people are just naturally peaceful people, aren't they? You just want to be with them. You almost want to stroke them and just like they're, they're, they're like your comfort person and you just get peace from being around them. But that's not what this is speaking about. This is talking about the peace of Christ, that wholeness and profound sense of being at rest because Jesus is alive. I want to say that if Christ rules in your life, then you can ask his peace too. We have to allow, the, we have to allow Christ to rule in our lives. It's not just about us. We have to allow Christ to rule our interactions, our relationships, our victories, our failures, our conflicts with one another. If Christ's peace rules in my heart, it determines how I relate to someone. What does it mean to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart? Well, it's great when everything goes well, isn't it? It's great when someone's being lovely. It's great when those days you really appreciate one another. But what does it mean to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts and our relationships when people annoy us? What does it mean to let the peace of Christ rule in our relationships with someone who just rubs us up the wrong way? Brothers and sisters, if Christ's peace is ruling in your heart, then it needs to rule in your relationships. Some ways in which we can allow the peace of Christ to rule in our hearts, to set the umpire, the, to be the umpire, to set the boundaries, the margins for our relationships Try to assume the best of others. Try to assume the best of others. It's hard at times, isn't it? Somebody does something and we don't just want to challenge the action. We want to challenge the motive. You did this and you knew it. You deliberately. And suddenly we become the all-knowing one who sees the motives of everyone else's heart. Do you know that's so important in marriages, isn't it? Not you know, at times, even if you have to confront behavior or, or say, look, I didn't like that, but not to challenge the, the assumption of others' motives. You know, church conflict, our relationship difficulties would be changed if we would try to assume the best of others. Try to assume the best of others. Let's ask ourselves, has somebody really understood me? If I'm having conflict with someone, have they really understood what I'm trying to say or what I was trying to do? Or have I really understood them? Let's give space to realize that we might have got the wrong end of the stick. It's one of those things, isn't it? When you kick off 
And then later on, you look like a Muppet because you realize, actually, you didn't understand the situation. Who's been there with that? I'm, you know, you're not allowed to raise your spouse's hand at that point. That's not right. <laughs> One of the things we can do is ask, is this something in that person that I'm reacting to? Realizing that, actually, do you know, and uh, sometimes we can meet someone who reminds us of somebody who may have hurt us, and we start to react towards that person. And that's often like an echo from another conflict. Sometimes it's worth asking, how much is the other person responsible for, work, for what I'm feeling or experiencing now? You know, each of us have a stress cup in our life, don't we? And whatever happens, stress gets poured in and the level begins to rise up and the level begins to rise up. But because we're good Christian people, we are serene and we are peaceful and we know what we're doing and we're not gonna let that peace cup, that peace, that stress cup override, but it begins to rise, doesn't it? And we try not to react. And you know what? You can go through a day and somebody fills your stress cup 99% full. And then the person that puts the last 2% in that causes it to overflow, what happens? They catch it for the 99% of someone else. And brothers and sisters, it's so important. You know, so much of the time, conflict is caused by misdirected anger. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Let it convict you. Let it tell you you're wrong. You know, sometimes an absence of peace can be an indicator of what's wrong. In the same way that can, peace can be an indicator of what's right, sometimes we can uh, have to make a difficult decision and suddenly there's no peace. You know, 20-something years ago, I remember I was just uh, I'd finished working at one church. I was working in homelessness. I really wanted to be back pastoring. And uh, I was offered a job up in Liverpool and not only is it the home of great football, but it's the home of my brother. Him and his wife were having their first kid. Uh, a lot of my close friends were there because I studied at uni there. And it just, and the church I knew, and everything felt right. And it would have been great to be back pastoring about the job. And we had the interview. And afterwards, we got on the train to come back home to London, Annie and I. And we looked at each other and we just said, this isn't right, is it? There just wasn't the peace. If I was working that out on a bit of a paper, it's a no-brainer. Everything made sense, but there wasn't peace. And so I want to encourage you. You know, that's dependent upon, you know, in one sense, cultivating God's peace in your life. It's dependent upon not, not having a conscience that becomes really seared through deliberate and willful disobedience to Christ. You know, it's possible sometimes for us to be comfortable with what we should be uncomfortable with, isn't it? I was reminded by one commentator as I read, prepared this talk that Jonah was able to sleep on a boat in a place he shouldn't have been comfortable. Lot felt comfortable sitting in the gates of Sodom. So we have to be careful using peace as an indicator. But if we know that our hearts are in the right place, let's allow peace of Christ to rule in our hearts and let it speak into our conscience. Peace always will lead 
to praising God. There's that sense that runs through this passage of peace-fueling worship, peace-fueling thanksgiving. Number two, let the message of Christ, verse 16, dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with attitude, sorry, with attitude, (laughs) that is a slip, right? With gratitude in your heart. So let's face it, half the time we probably are singing to God with attitude in our hearts. You know, the message of Christ dwelling richly in our hearts. What's the message of Christ? It's the gospel. What's the message of Christ? It's God's word. You know, there's no substitute for putting off the old and putting on the new and working and serving and loving together and growing in our relationship with others. There's no substitute for the word of God, the Bible. You know, we can fill our lives with podcasts. We can fill our lives with nice little devotional messages for your fridge. You know, you can fill your life with nice little uh, uh, happy thought memes, whatever, relationship coaching, anything. But there's no substitute for the word of God. Are we meditating on the word? This idea here of letting the word of Christ dwell richly, letting his message just permeate our lifestyles. If we, if we really embrace that, if we really embrace letting the words of Christ, the message of Christ dwell richly in us, then it will change our relationships. You know, how many times are we facing some issue in our relationships and the Bible speaks into it, the Bible convicts, the Bible shows, the Bible encourages part of the faith that we need to, to, to have for putting off the old and putting on the new is to become soaked and saturated in the word of God. I want to challenge you, let's not let basic devotionality slip. I love busyness and chaos and that's just, I guess it's the way I grew up, but I love all that stuff. I love the fact that Tower Hamlets is constant noise and sirens and something's always happening. But in the midst of that, I'm constantly stirred. I need to find my devotionality. Don't join the chaos. Minister the peace of God in the chaos. And that comes in part through receiving from Christ. And how does that happen? Being saturated. Let the message of Christ dwell richly. I love the language there. It's so evocative. It's inspiring. Allow the word of Christ to dwell richly. Let it feel at home in your life. Let the message of Christ inhabit, permeate. Let's be gospel-centered in all we do. As a church, we want to be Christ-centered. We want the message of Christ, the gospel, to be at the center. Because it reminds us, and particularly in our relationship, it reminds us of our own sinfulness. If we want to let the message of Christ dwell richly in relation to our relationships and sharing life together, 
The gospel reminds me of my own sinfulness. It reminds me of God's great love for me, but also for the person that I'm having difficulties with. It reminds us of Christ's magnificence and superiority. It reminds us of grace, that all we've been given is a gift. It's not because of works. It reminds us that God loves us and compels us to love our brother and sister. It reminds us that his spirit empowers us to do supernaturally what we could never do. Allow that reminder to permeate our relationships. You know, it's so easy to think as Christians, the gospel is for others. No, the gospel is for each of us each day. We need to live in the light of it. Hebrews 2 reminds us so powerfully after speaking of the magnificence of Christ. Hebrews 2 verse 1 says, we must pay more careful attention therefore to what we have heard so we don't drift away. If we lose sight of the gospel, if we trade that for good works or, or, or just for community involvement, and we do a lot in the community, community but if we trade any of that for being Christ-centered and gospel-focused, we've missed it. Let's close down and go elsewhere. Let the word of Christ dwell richly. Let it marinate you. Now, we're going for a food allergy, an analogy, not a food allergy. <laughs> Quick, pass the peanuts around. No, no. Uh, we're going for a food analogy. You know, my dad was a curry chef. And... Uh, my dad could make a mean tandoori chicken. Now, when you make tandoori chicken, you don't just coat the thing and cook the thing. No, you marinate it. It sits, preferably for a couple of hours, sometimes overnight. Restaurant in Brick Lane, a few weeks, but we won't go there. But um, uh, you let the chicken sit in the marinade. But you know what you do? You also take a knife and you cut the chicken and you make scores in it. You've seen your tandoori chicken. It's got scores. Why? Because they want the marinade to get deep inside. Don't just sit in it. Let the marinade get into it. Brothers and sisters, that's what the word of Christ, the message of Christ needs to do to us. It needs to cut through our exterior and get to the interior. It needs to bypass just our brain, important as that is, and it needs to sit in our heart. It needs to dwell richly. You know, if you've ever been served tandoori chicken by someone who didn't know how to make it and they just dipped it in the marinade and grilled the thing, it's okay. It's hard to go wrong. But do you know what? The flavors just surface deep. And brothers and sisters, a lot of Christians that run around surface deep because we're not allowing the word of Christ to dwell richly in us, to marinate us. Let it get to all the bits of our life. Let it dwell richly in us as a community. Let it dwell richly in us as individuals. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in our friendships. And friendships are really important. Let the, the word of Christ dwell richly in our relationships, in our conflicts. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in our grief, in our triumph in our failures. Let the word of Christ dwell richly. It talks here about as you teach and admonish one another. You know, admonish is one of those words, it kind of sounds a bit Victorian schoolmaster, doesn't it? I'm going to admonish you now. 
but it's to advise and instruct and teach how to avoid wrongdoing. Friend, there's a grace in that. If somebody wants to, in a good sense, admonish you, admonish you and help you not to do what's wrong, they're actually your friend. People who just confirm and affirm you in wrongdoing and wrong lifestyles are not your friends. Part of our responsibility, our love for one another, is to warn one another when we go astray. Are you open to instruction, correction? Are you open for friends to lovingly say, God has better for you? God has better for you. Are we cultivating relationships where we can speak into the fabric of each other's lives? I love here, it says, um, let me read this to you again. Let the message of Christ dwell richly among you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing with gratitude in your hearts. Psalms, hymns, and singing. The word of Christ, does it dwell richly in our worship? I have to say, sometimes I think we should sue people on Spotify when they make a worship playlist, not Luke's. <laughs> Luke makes some great playlists, you can see him afterwards. But it says worship playlist, and it's all about us and me and I, and nothing about Jesus. It's all about subjective feelings, but nothing from the word of God. The word of Christ is dwelling richly in us, then it fuels our worship. It means that as we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, it's content, not just tune. Does our worship come from having the word dwell richly? Does it focus on the word of God, the person of Jesus, the magnificence of God? Or does it just become subjective? Now, understand me, there is a sense in which worship is, the part of it, this verse even says, as we sing to one another. So part of our worship isn't just singing to God, but it is singing to one another. It's encouraging, it's reminding one another of God's goodness, of God's faithfulness. Part of it is singing because you need to sing. I need to sing. We're designed to sing, even though I can't really sing. Um, but the thing is, we are designed to sing and worship God. It's not the warm-up act for the preaching, but it's giving God glory for who he is. You know, the Colossian church was in great danger of heresy. Paul writes to protect it from heresy. It's not a church that he'd even visited, I believe. But he writes because he saw the danger. And part of how they counteract danger was to say the truth to one another, but also to sing the truth. It's a great way to memorize scripture. You know, I was just this morning listening. Actually, it was one of Luke's playlists. That just some psalms that are set to music. And you can just, just, it's a great way to remember the psalms. Filling my heart, letting the word of Christ dwell richly in us. That ought to be reflected as we meet together. We should never be 
Church should never be just a platform-driven type of thing. 1 Corinthians 14, 26, Paul says, What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a sing, a, a hymn, a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Everything must be done so the church may be built up. And we're going to be looking at those passages this coming autumn term. But actually, church isn't what you go to listen to. Church is us participating together. We build one another up. We bring, we share, we each have and add some element. In our life groups together, we share the word of Christ. We encourage, we, we talk about what God is doing. And then thirdly, giving thanks. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Do it all in Jesus' name. Do it all in Jesus' name. Whatever we're doing, my challenge to you is, can we do this in Jesus' name? If we can't do it in Jesus' name, maybe the question is, should we be doing it at all? Our attitudes, our actions, our relationships with one another, are they done in Jesus' name? Or is there hidden and selfish motives? Our life together, our interconnectedness is about Jesus. We were called as members of one body and that body is the body of Christ. Are we living for Jesus? Are we obeying Jesus? Are we becoming more like him? Are we speaking of him? What does it mean to do all in the name of Jesus? It means being like an ambassador. You know, an ambassador goes to another country and he can speak, not on his own behalf, but he carries the name of his country. It's the same for us. When we speak, we carry another's name. What are we doing to the reputation of God through our lifestyle? What are we doing to God's reputation through our actions, through our relationships? When people see us, what do they associate with who God is? My close friend Johan is from the Faroe Islands. And if they have a conversation about someone there um, and they want to know what that person's character is like, they always ask a, tran a phrase which translated says, who owns him? And basically, it means, what's his family like? Because in a small island community, the thinking is, if the family are good, the person will be good. You can tell something about someone's character from their family. Now, I don't think that's true, actually. But it does make you think, if somebody were to ask us, who owns her? Who owns him? What could I tell about their conduct or assume because of where they belong? What does it mean to bear the name Christian, follower of Christ? I want us to think about that. If we want to be shaped, if we want to put on the new, let's do all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to him, giving thanks to God. Again, the context is life together. In our relationships, I want to challenge you maybe in the relationships that most challenge you, find some things to give thanks for. Find some things to give thanks for. Begin by giving thanks. You know, I was taught as a kid to pray 
with an acronym, ACTS, adoration, worshiping God, confession, confessing my sin, T, thanksgiving, and S, supplication, asking for stuff, comes last. Do we know what it is to be thankful? Is gratitude a part of our lives? I want to challenge you this thing, and we'll close towards this. Let gratitude be a guard dog in your life. If that dog starts, stops barking, you know something's up. If you stop being thankful, then my own life and experience has taught me that when thankfulness goes out the window, being grateful to God goes out the window, we're on a pathway that's not heading anywhere great. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you. Find ways to give thanks. Let gratitude be that dog, that guard dog that starts barking when anger or bitterness comes near. Let gratitude as a guard dog starts barking when envy or despising people happens. You see, if the dog is asleep, the house is more vulnerable. When we stop being thankful, we open our lives to all kinds of things. This letter to Colossians, and we'll close with this, in verse, chapter 1, verse 3 says, We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. This letter begins with Paul being grateful for them. As we're studying 1 Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul, who's about to tear a strip off the Corinthians for misbehaving, begins, says, I always thank my God for you. In verse 4, Paul was going to have to challenge their behavior, some really out of order stuff. Just to leave that with you. Are you grateful? Are you thankful? Can you see things to give thanks to God for? If not, just simply today is a day of repentance. Today is a day for you to say, God, forgive me. I've let other things cloud my relationships. I'm going to invite the band to come up. I'm sorry I've been a bit long today. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for my brothers and sisters. Lord, I want to thank you for each person here. I want to thank you that we share life together because Jesus died for our sins because you raised him from the dead, because you have called and chosen and spoken over our lives, and because you have given us grace. And Lord, we, because of that, we get to share life together. And Lord, I wanna pray for each person here. Lord, help us to truly love one another. Lord, I wanna pray that the peace of Christ would rule in each of our hearts. Lord, I want to pray that today we would see afresh that we are called as members of one body, that we're called to peace. Lord, I pray that the message of Christ would dwell richly amongst us. Lord, I pray that you would marinate us in your word. Lord, I pray that some of us today, that your word would just cut into us a bit so that it can get further inside. 
Lord, I pray that we would admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Lord, I pray that we would be people who are profoundly grateful for all that you've given to us. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's worship God in that spirit of gratefulness.